Welcome to Stock in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm one of your hosts, Eitan, and I'm joined as always by Carl. Hey, Carl, how's it going? Hey, Eitan. Well, today is a special, special day, December 14th, 2020, because Shrek is officially now in the National Film Registry at the Library of Congress. <laughs> I I thought you were going to say when you started, I was like, oh, it's the one year anniversary of Uncut Gems. <laughs> you know, that was yeah. like something actually interesting and serious. Wow. What does that mean exactly? I saw I saw some tweets about it and uh, Joker or Batman or well, something else. Yeah, so, well, first of all, Shrek is an uncut gem of a film. So we should all be very appreciative of Jeffrey Katzenberg's contribution to society. But... <laughs> Yes, it was uh, the Dark Knight was also inducted today. I can't remember uh, there were twenty or so films inducted. Uh, the Hurt Locker was another one. I can't remember mm. uh, all of them. Essentially, what it is is uh, every year the Library of Congress chooses a group of films to be preserved. So since traditional celluloid is so finicky and physical and hard to preserve, they like acquire nice prints or strike prints and put them away so that I don't know is it a doomsday prepping thing do they they should probably just go to Yucca Mountain to like the the secret nuclear bunker there so the president has them if, if everything goes south <laughs> it's so that uh, <laughs> Nicolas Cage can find them in the National Treasure 17 or something like that yeah exactly it's next to the Book of Secrets is the uh, National Film Archives in the Library of Congress right which is going to be announced by Disney Plus in Investor Day in 15 years. Who who cho- who chooses this? Who, like, how, uh, yeah, how does it work? Do you know? Do you have any idea? I have no idea. Uh, I know it's the Library of Congress. I did a quick Google. And 25 films a year are selected by the National Film Registry. And they're supposed to showcase, quote, the range and diversity of American film heritage to increase awareness for its preservation. So. Shrek. Oh, actually, you know what? I did know part of this process because every year they actually have public nominations for the films. So every year I usually submit a handful of films that aren't in there. I mean, literally every year I submit Spy Kids and Clueless and then like. (laughs) a few serious picks as well but i think both of those films are really important and deserve deserve to be preserved is shrek so, your fault is that no, also one of your yearly oh, okay i would never Just vote to, to to preserve shrek no <laughs> i i have to say it, it was actually it, it makes sense that you brought it up because i've been listening to uh carly weisel she's an awesome uh theme park journalist you should follow her on twitter she has this podcast and she made shrek sember where every week she's talking about how she's Jewish and she loves this time of the year in the parks because it's like very magical, but everything is very Christmas centric. So she's talking about all the type, all the types of things that she finds of uh, of Hanukkah and how uh, special it can be. So when you brought Shrek, maybe I was like, oh, is, is Carl going to talk about Hanukkah and theme parks? But you took it somewhere else interesting, so that's fine. It is does Shrek celebrate Hanukkah in the theme parks? I don't how know. Is Shrek. <laughs> I don't. Or is is Shrek a is Shrek Jewish? Is he a goy? Like what's Shrek status? I don't know. I I don't know if that's canon. I don't know if that's Shrek. I mean, he's, canon. he's from Scotland, so he's probably either a Protestant or a Catholic. But you don't know. 
<laughs> I'll I'll try to continue to listen and I'll and I'll report back. Um, yeah, come back to me. Uh, okay, but you didn't go that way. That that was still fine. <laughs> well, in more serious news, uh, we wanted to talk about the disaster that seems to be Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven launching over the last few weeks. Well, I mean, I guess it launched last week, but it's been a tr- slow train wreck to observe from a distance. I have to say, coming into this, I know is Keanu Reeves. Uh, well, not his game, but it's him, right? He's the he's the main character, and I yeah. do remember stumbling into gaming Twitter from time to time and being like, "Oh, it got pushed another year. It got pushed another six months. It got pushed another whatever." So it sounds like okay, it finally released. I mean, a few weeks ago, we talked about the next generation of consoles and something that developed since then is the fact that you still can't buy these consoles anywhere and (laughs) they are super powerful machines and this was supposed to be a i mean this wasn't supposed to be a launch game for these consoles it was supposed to be a last generation it was announced in 2012 Uh, they teased it in 2013 they've been showing gameplay footage for years hyping it up uh, there were all these stories about how it got delayed multiple times this year. There was a massive time crunch to finish it, and they were working developers to death. And then it released, and it wasn't optimized for previous systems. So you could basically only play it on a on a good PC or an Xbox Series whatever, Series X, I think. Yeah, I can, don't even or think S, it runs well on the yeah. Series S. Oh, okay. So, yeah, just a botched launch. All in all, it seems like they sacrificed narrative for good open world me- mechanics but even then it's all rooted in just kind of Blade runner aesthetics and ripping that off so I don't know it's just been fun to sit on the sidelines and watch people tear themselves apart did you see that press release they did today I didn't tell me tell me about it okay so Essentially, they apologized to everyone saying that they should have spent more time developing the game for previous console generations and they're sorry and that they're going to have an update and if anybody wants a refund, they can get a refund. It's just, that's how bad this was. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it's important to remember also sometimes for me, it's it's crazy to, uh, I forget very often that these games are, you know, sometimes $200 million budgets and they make... Mm -hmm a ton of money like blockbuster movie level sometimes we think these are literally games you know who cares about this but this is huge these are massive so these these guys offering refunds for even thinking about apologizing that's huge yeah something i do want to talk about with this is i mean there's two paths we can go down here one we go down the hardware path which is what i want to talk about but the other path is just it's really funny watching this uh, fandom kind of tear itself apart because this is a fandom of people who were just lured into I don't know, the aesthetic promise of this game seven or eight years ago and have been hyping it to themselves about how great it is and then it just delivers and it's flat on their face and everyone's mad and I just feel like this is further damning evidence against spending this much money making something just to appease like a subset of people that are just going to hate it no matter what. <laughs> And uh, I I feel some uh, subtweets here, Carl. You wanna you wanna take something off your chest? Anything specific? I mean, we're gonna talk about. No, we're gonna talk about Star Wars oh, okay. in about twenty minutes, right? So it'll come up then. Okay, perfect. Okay, I was just wondering. <laughs> I could feel it though. 
But on the hardware side, so Stadia, like if you buy Cyberpunk or uh, yeah, Cyberpunk 2077, you can get a free Stadia controller and like I think free Stadia Pro for a bit too, and mm-hmm. a Chromecast. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's like a hundred bucks worth of stuff for just the sixty buck game, or a hundred bucks plus the sixty dollars you're paying for the game already. So at this point, where you need like a very top of the line, impossible to get to get machine. Why not switch to cloud? Like, if your internet's there, it just just it just obviates how crazy that hardware is becoming the defining thing for this generation and loyalty and everything. But at the same time, maybe it is just need it just needs to be disrupted. Yeah, I think we we touched on it also on a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the consoles, and it's, I mean, it feels so obvious that the, the trend is going there and that it makes so much sense. I think it's also obvious the technical limitations that most people would still face, especially if they're trying to do like online gaming versus others. But yeah, absolutely. And this brings up, you know, how how is it going to happen? Are Sony and Microsoft and whoever just going to collaborate and have one that they're going to share? Microsoft is working on theirs. Stadia has theirs. Uh, Amazon has Luna, a terrible name, Moon in Spanish. And... Uh, that that's gonna be an interesting one to follow because it seems like like you were saying, it's ripe for a different focus or for a different yeah. structure than just the same players just having oh I have a console now I have a service online. I mean, shooting for the hip, I would guess probably Epic and Amazon are best positioned to run stores like that, both from an experience running storefront and like technical mm-hmm. ability, infrastructure. yeah, and infrastructure and everything and and branding. Uh, Google has, I think, put a lot more energy in this than I expected them to, and and Stadia is doing decently well now, I think. But I mean, it's Valve's not going to turn around and make Steam streaming the, the next thing. Like they've, right. they're they're too muddy on their hardware message, and they, I mean, they gave up on the Steam controller thing and steaming streaming and everything. Steaming. It would be interesting to talk about in, in detail at, at some point because I I do feel also the market segmentation. I could see how a lot of the value that these companies get come from, you know, the whales that spend a ton of money on these mm-hmm. things. But like if I think of me, I used to have a PS3, I used to have a PS4, I don't have one anymore. But if I was to come back into it, I would probably go just Stadia. I have a new Chromecast yeah. that I by the way, I got a new Chromecast for free because I'm a YouTube TV subscriber. So now suddenly that's free. And then I can test Stadia Pro for free. And I think mm. you don't even need a controller. You can start with your phone. It might not be as easy to play, but, you know, whatever. And suddenly, yeah, the friction to try it, it's so much easier, even if even if you forget how difficult it is to get the, the PS5 and the, and the Xbox. Yeah, and I have to pay the $60 incremental cost no matter what. So it's nice if, like, I can order a Chromecast and have it tomorrow and then it runs. Yeah. Right. Or if these things continue to go towards subscriptions, you pay your $15, your $10, whatever subscription for a month, you try it out, it didn't work, so thank you so much. Yeah. Don't worry, though. Alex and I have already put it in our budget for next year to buy a PS5, so we have a 4K Blu-ray player at home. When you say in your budget, do you mean in your gift registry? No, not oh, in our okay, wedding okay. registry. I was Just like, like wink, in our wink like, budget? Oh, mentally okay. we have already put it in our minds that we're going to spend that money once they go down in price and are available 
Uh, you need it for your prized uh, collection of print media or physical exactly. media, which is going to come in handy. Yeah. Speaking of I which. Mean, exactly. Like the, <laughs> I'm glad you saw what I was teeing up to segue there. <laughs> you could take it. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Carl tweeted today how, uh, yeah, like how physical media for the win again, because there is a rumor that Peacock is considering putting the office behind the paywall and charging people five dollars a month just to access the office which seems uh, crazy from 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 so many different sides what was your first reaction when you saw this it's just it is crazy that i mean we know based on how netflix has described the office's success that literally like people subscribe to netflix just because it's where the office lives and they just like watching it over and over and over again until they get bored and switch to parks and rec and then switch back like Mm -hmm. it's hilarious to me that this is a viable option like peacock offering to charge this is not crazy (laughs) it's just insane i i don't get it because i imagine most people are telling themselves like well i only i do an office watch like once a year and then only take a month so i'll just do five dollars every year and i mean the entire series on dvd costs 50 bucks so that's 10 months so i mean if you're gonna actually do it every year why not get it i it's just it seems so silly to charge that much for access to a specific show I wonder, yeah, my, my first reaction was, is this a reaction that most subscribers to Peacock are on the free version and the ads are just not bringing enough? Yeah. They don't have the volume and then, you know, if, if whatever percent of their usage is coming from the office, maybe that tier makes sense. But at the same time, it's kind of a how life is a loop, right? And in cable, you yeah. were charged like the premium channels, uh-huh. had the premium content and blah, blah, blah. And then you come and it's like, well, now streaming is easier. Well, how about we also try test things with linear and now how are we going to charge also more for the premium content? It's, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, the saying is like, those who don't know story are doomed to repeat it. It's like, well, also those who know it. I mean, right. Yeah, it's, it is, very funny that this is just the way they're moving with this but it doesn't it makes sense i don't fault them for trying this and you know what like yeah as much as i'm advocating for physical media maybe it's worth not having to lug eight seasons of dvds around every time you move or whatever and like people don't care about that and i hear that i get that but if i don't have a collection a nice collection of movies on my bookcase how will people know that i have taste right like <laughs> when we have our first uh live podcast where people can see what's on your background like, oh look yes, at all the stuff that carl has yeah i mean Fine, I, I, I get that i have like 15 blu-rays here and i don't even like live in the place i'm staying right now <laughs> <laughs> no that makes a lot of sense well uh, yeah, I want. I would like to see the face of the analyst when he's like, "Oh, this is gonna make no sense," and then he runs the number. He's like, "Oh my god, I need to propose charging yeah. for one show exactly. to my bosses." That must have been interesting. And I, I doubt this will actually work that well because, as much as it does kind of make sense, at the same time, the first two seasons are on Peacock, or Peacock like freemium right now. Mm-hmm. I'd support it. And how many people do you know that just like when stuff like the good places come up have been like, oh, I'm just going to wait until like the next, 
the last season's on Netflix and I'll watch it, right? Like, people don't actually care about watching things in the moment culturally unless it's, like, a big flash-in-the-pan Netflix thing usually. So, at the end of the day, if there's free office out there, people will probably just watch whatever's out there. Yeah, and the first two seasons, you know, are regarded as the best. So I would imagine this would be for everything, right? That's the thing, is they should do season seven and eight. The Will Ferrell ones, or the... Yeah, I mean, I can't remember when he, he was on. But, like, I know they ended at nine, and the last season wasn't, like, as atrocious. So I'm thinking, like, the Kathy Bates, James Spader area mm, era okay, okay. of the show. Yeah. Just, like, have that, and that's the free option. And see how long people would just watch that on repeat until they have to go start paying for it. This, this is exactly the... These are the cons of having so much data on your users, right? Everyone's yeah. like, oh, so positive. You're going to know everything about them and what to do. And the con is like, well, I know everything. I can charge extra for the office. That's very true. <laughs> so final piece of news. Did you see the photoshopped masks coming out of, of Disney World today? I think it's genius. I think it's genius. Tell, tell our uh, listeners more. So it was in one of the theme park blogs today that so apparently Disney for months since they've reopened, they have not allowed people to purchase photos of like rides. Like you're on like Splash Mountain or whatever, and it takes a photo of you as you're going over a drop. They've purposefully not distributed digitally any of the photos or allowed you to purchase any of the photos where somebody in the photo is not wearing a mask. And people made a fuss about that. I think it's so great. So today Disney did the same thing. Or Disney modified that, and they're starting to Photoshop masks onto people that aren't wearing masks in the photo. Why do you think this is great? Because we're in a pandemic, and if you're trying to switch behavior, even if this switches three people to be like, well, if I'm going to wear the mask in order to get it, that's fine. I'm going to shame you. You're not even going to be able to take a picture of the thing in the screen with you smiling. Especially because most of these things that have uh, that that take pictures, you're in a in a boat or in a train or in a car with other people that are not from your party. I think even if you are the person that is in the front and you are wearing a mask and the person behind you is not, I would be like reminded for the rest of my life that these persons behind me were responsible and I got on a car or a train or a magic carpet with them, and I would feel bad. I think you're overestimating the power of the post-ride photo. <laughs> never, never overestimate. I know you never underestimate the power. Always of, uh, walk up and like type in your number, or take a picture of the picture, so you have a record of the picture. But I think most people don't even know that there's like a TV that they need to go look at, or don't care, or just like. I, comp- in- I absolutely disagree. Okay, everyone knows. In Florida, it does it automatically with a wristband. And the only people that are going to look at the photos are the ones that are going to have the wristbands anyway. <laughs> so I I don't think that this is a shaming thing. I think this is Disney trying to cover up and just be like, we don't want any bad press out there. People not wearing masks on our rides. We need to I think suppress both it. can be true. <laughs> I do not think there's any actual good corporate responsibility angle to this. I think it's just ridiculous liability covering if there's no evidence it's all fine no but i mean everyone knows right it's not like somebody's gonna be like well that happened and oh no look at the photos people are actually wearing masks anyway this is gonna go a very deep 
nerd and rabbit hole that we don't have time for. But I, I don't think it's a bad idea. If you don't want to get COVID from people on the ride, then don't get on the ride with people who might have COVID that you don't know. I, I mean, yes, but we've <laughs> talked about how we wouldn't go to a park right now, right? And yeah. all the negatives are and positives. But if we as a functioning society are going to have to learn how to live within the rules, because even though they started vaccinating people in the US literally today, yeah, we should push towards being nicer to each other and be mindful of each other, right? And being, you know, this impacts all of us. And again... I'm not saying there aren't ulterior motives. If this helps at least one person wear a mask, it's going to be a win. This doesn't mean they shouldn't do other things. I don't want to get incensed about this, Carl. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. You want to take over uh, for the main topic then today? I'll take over. For the main topic today, we are back to streaming. It was a, it was a good vacation week last week, talking about book publishing and anti... <laughs> Uh, antitrust and things like that but we wanted to talk about streaming kind of for two reasons the first one is we had the emergency pod two weeks ago about HBO's AT&T's decision to do a day and date release of all their movies at the same time they hit theaters they're going to be in HBO Max for a month all of their slate from 2021 and last week last Thursday Disney had this I mean, for me, it was amazing. I don't know about you, but for us media strategy nerds, a four-hour afternoon panel talking about streaming numbers, forecasts, content announcements, which we might not be as excited about, but it was kind of an interesting thing to see all the things we care about or are interested in happening in the microcosm. So we wanted to talk about both of them, things we like, things we don't like, things that surprised us, how we compare them, um, and basically, uh, yeah, just talk about it for a little while. First thing, what was your reaction Thursday? How did you cope with the avalanche of news, both the content stuff and the non-content stuff, just at a high level? How were you feeling that day? Honestly, honestly, I just kind of ignored it until oh I went God. to bed. <laughs> I just saw rumblings of it, and then I saw that big evil photo of I think it's Kathleen Kennedy standing in front of like every logo of Star Wars things that they're going to yep. do in the next few years. And I was like, cool, I will read a recap later. And I did. And honestly, I was surprised at how much I'm into the Marvel stuff and am more into that than anything with Star Wars. Just mm -hmm. I'm done with Star Wars. <laughs> Like, it's not like I'm mad at it or anything. It's just, you know, it's like, I don't feel like engaging with all of this to this level. It was nice when there were, like, three canonical two-hour things I had to engage with every few years. Like, that was nice. And I enjoyed <laughs> that. I don't really want 20 hours of, like, sub, like, Kyle Katarn sequel video game stuff except i don't even get to control it so it's like no i'll <laughs> wait until something strikes my fancy which some of this well basically only the leslie headland high republic show sounds cool to me and i like you and mcgregor okay. anyway we're gonna get really into that i'm yeah, super let's wait. pessimistic on this stuff this is like death of culture scary to me what about you? How was your yeah, reaction to I this? I was going to say, let's wait to talk about content specific because there's okay, going to be yeah. literally a ton it's of It's going to be random. Yes. Yeah. 
I think my biggest takeaway was we talked last week how we we didn't expect Disney to go all in in any direction just based on their corporate the brand and yeah. how they managed. And we things. were right. We not only we were right. I was surprised that they even they didn't change anything. Basically, no. they announced that Raya and the Last Dragon, the new animation the animated movie, is coming out in March or May. And that one is coming out at the same time in theaters and premiere access. So not like HBO Max that it's free. You can pay $30 for it. Yeah. For me, like Eitan, perfect. In March, I'm not going to want to go to a theater yet. I'm willing to pay. That's fine. Right? Disney Animation has a high willingness to pay for me. But I was I was surprised about how different things looked. And I think the more I talked, I thought about it, and this is something I'm, I'm curious, is... Just the difference, the stark difference between HBO Max and Disney. And, you know, at a high level, I think something that we talked about, we talk always, right? It's like, it's easy to compare these services, but they are very different and they live within different structures. And I think it was jarring to see HBO Max getting basically, I mean, not breaking under the pressure, but basically of the debt and the size of AT&T yeah. and the shareholders and being like, we have to do something. We have uncertainty. Let's just go all in. And we should talk also about like uh, Christopher Nolan talking about it and uh, Villeneuve yeah. talking about it. But that side of things. And then then Disney on the other side being like, we're fine. Not only that, we're raising our estimates for 2024 instead of like 60 to 80 million subscribers. Now we expect between 200 and 250. Something yeah. ridiculous. Um, I think that was the, the biggest thing. What? Yeah. yeah. Anything around those lines for you? I mean, I think you hit it on the head when talking about this, which is that AT&T is like $150 billion in debt over the Time Warner deal alone. Like, they have a lot yeah. of money to get back to the shareholders and to investors. So, I Disney's not in that dire of straits. Yeah, their income this year was severely beaten by the pandemic but i they're in a a healthier place and their other business lines are are more interesting and less razor thin margins than like at&t's cable and cell phone plans right yeah but i think disney has 60 billion in debt but have like 20 something in cash yeah but i mean analysts were already unsure about how AT&T was going to pay back debt over the direct TV deal. And then the, the Warner deal comes through and just I think people are more skeptical of that than with Disney where it's like, Oh, well, I mean, once the parks are back, like they'll be able to keep taking on debt mm-hmm. and refinancing and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I'm coming back around on the idea of, or I'm coming around on the idea of some of these films being this hybrid model when they are more family films like, like Raya or even if it was like so, sold or something these are films where we've talked before about how it's expensive to take a family to to a theater mm-hmm. and the pricing on premiere access where it's like 30 or 40 bucks or if they eventually push it higher economically makes sense for a family mm-hmm. whereas it doesn't necessarily make sense for an individual or a couple so i think at that point the price point of getting it out to rental faster really does like you're probably getting more money from the at-home consumers than you would have gotten from theater goers in those brackets anyway and that starts to make sense whereas event films like black widow they fully plan just to release in theaters right now and that's not going to deviate and i would 
I'd be interested to see if they move it back at all. But at this mm-hmm. point, I think Black Widow might just be a sacrifice for the engines of Marvel because they've been holding off another year than more than expected, and they have this entire TV slate and other film slate to get into place and lock into place. I think Black Widow is coming out no matter what in March, and symbolically, it's probably good if it's only in theaters, and I think that's smart. Right, and I, I, I think the other thing I would add to your um, animated movie or family movies where is that these are movies that you show the kids and they probably will rewatch it 10 times in the next month. Right. Right? And then this suddenly also becomes for Disney. Not only are you willing to pay for it, but they're going to keep you there. So yeah, it actually kind exactly. of adds a, kind of a, a lot of value. I think the... This is going to sound... This is a take that I've been uh, ruminating off. Ruminating? I don't know if that's how you say it. Ruminating. Yeah, okay. Carl... <laughs> Was COVID-19 the best thing that could have happened to Disney? Let me start by saying people losing their jobs, it's always, for me, like, that's worth right. I would put their jobs over any type of share going up or Disney doing better. So I don't want it to come across as, you know, oh, it's good that this happened. Not at all. I would prefer people to have their jobs and the parks have stayed open and people in the stores and everything. But just from a... Like, if you're Bob Chapek, not only did you realize that Disney Plus is platinum, is not gold, how it can hold you, your stock is up 12 or 20%. Mm-hmm. You got significant the uh, number of uh, growth there and realigned the company around it. You got forced to do it in a way that seems very healthy. Mm-hmm. And all... Not all, but most of the businesses that you got completely the F word on, theme parks, sports, stores, products, are businesses that you are incredibly strong on. And you know whenever life comes back, people are going to go to Disney before they go to Six Flags or something else, right? People are going to go to ESPN because they're going to miss sports. And then suddenly you, it was kind of an opportunity to say, we are, we are our forecast for disney is increasing 4x and we're going to spend double the amount of money and this is going to be amazing and they just got forced to do it even faster like right supposedly two years ago that realignment was super difficult and then suddenly this happens and it's it's just turbo was this just kind of a did they just hit gold which sounds terrible again i I would but no i i don't think that's a crazy take at all i think that's i very fair assessment of how this is. I mean, it's the same thing as asking if COVID was good for billionaires. It was because a lot of investments ended up ricocheting through the valley and coming back up the, on the other side, especially in companies where they're the stock options have made people billionaires. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's crazy. I think it's the Coca-Cola effect, right? Like we always kind of knew that, we, we knew that Black Widow was always going to have outsized performance for the quality of film. Like, it's a Black Widow movie. Yeah, I'm here for there being another female-led superhero movie in the Marvel f- canon because it's insane that there's only one of them. But mm-hmm. it's Black Widow. She's not, like, she's pretty deep on the bench of characters that you care about. And she's, like, been used as a prop, like, more than actually as a, a character in multiple films. So... I don't think people are going in like super psyched for some weird prequel that's probably even not even going to push the story along. I don't know. 
But it was going to perform well because it was the first Marvel film after a year of just not having this thing. It's this vacuum in the culture. And now the pandemic has like tripled that for Disney, right? Like every one of their business units has been like kind of in stasis. Star Wars doesn't really exist right now from by virtue of it ending last year. The parks were dead this year. Like there's just this this vacuum of this content. And I think they're more than willing to fill it. Yeah. And I mean, you see the things that they changed. Like, yeah, sure. They moved Peter Pan and Pinocchio to Disney Plus. So they wanted to have in theaters, but eh, right. Yeah. They were in a good spot conversed with AT&T or even others. They, they are, they were big enough to be able to cover the spots, you know, moving things around. They rearranged the, I mean, Karim Daniel was the second presenter. Yeah. After Bob Chapek, like just talking about distribution, suddenly, right? It's it's he's the the, the head of the, the new distribution organization, mm-hmm. and it it just feels like after a very hard year, especially for workers. Yeah. Hopefully, it comes back very quickly, also for them, because Disney Disney seems to be in a significantly strong position. If I was Netflix watching this. I mean, even Disney say they're gonna they expect the forecast to grow four x, and they they said they are doubling what they expect to spend in content, and by twenty twenty four they just is now expect to spend eight billion dollars in content in twenty twenty four, versus what Netflix is spending now that is close to twenty. Yeah, I mean, what it does what did Disney say they were ads from subscribers like something like eighty six million right now. 86, yeah. 87, and they're uh, three we- two weeks ago, even. Right, like the yeah. 2nd of December. Yeah. And they're targeting 200 by 2024? Yeah. Between 200 yeah, and I mean, 250. That's totally doable. I mean, I know they updated it from, like, added, like, another 50 million or something. But based on the growth rate and the run rate and how much they're spending and how much they need to spend, I think Disney Plus was always going to have a pretty organic growth rate anyway. And I, I don't think analysts were too worried about the content growing stale because a lot of that content has never grown stale. So it's good that they're putting a lot of stuff out there, but I don't have much doubt that they can they can kind of coast with half of Netflix's production budget because they have a library, and we've already established that Netflix truly does not have a good library. And the yeah, right, my, my increasing forecast, even if Disney is known for under promising and over delivering, moving from between eight around 80 to 90 million to 250 it's i mean these are crazy numbers uh, but crazy. i think to your to your point i think it was interesting i do want to talk about star but let's get back to it in a second it's this there is this uh also a picture where bob uh, Iger is like walking and this the camera goes back and you see everything, and it feels like they announced like actually Disney Plus, right? That everything yeah. that happened with this last past year, we talked about how bad it was, honestly, in content competing against versus mm-hmm. Netflix. It it was golden in what we thought it was going to be golden and bringing families along, but they didn't have anything outside of the Mandalorian. And even yeah. the Mandalorian, the second season, we've talked about how it's underwhelming. And then suddenly they announced these like fifty-two things that yeah. we're going to talk about how we might not be excited about the majority of them or how they are just have zero original content, but it feels like Disney plus is just arriving. Yeah. I would agree with that assessment. And thinking about this over the last few days, 
and just everything that's going on. I have a probably a more insane take for you than the COVID was good for Disney take, which is bring it. As much as I don't trust AT and T to execute on HBO Max and actually build it to the level that they're building it. I am becoming more and more convinced that the strategy is a strategy that could make sense. So let me explain that. The strategy of 2021 movies? That, but also just like being a pest and disruptive and just doing their own thing and being Mm -hmm. like, we're a tech outsider company trying to do this rather than anything. Because, I mean, essentially Disney, by virtue of being Disney, even from the 40s on, has always been kind of outside of the the ecosystem. Like, they've always had a lot, like, they keep everything more in-house, mm-hmm. more distri- like, their distribution, their production, their, mm-hmm. uh, their discovery, their development. Everything is done pretty internally, and especially over the last 15 years, it's been done incredibly internally by, like, brain trust or people they bring in to kind of cultivate these things and that means that they have a lot more power with with theaters with agencies with with casts because in order to to work with disney and work with their content you have to play their game and i think that's what warner and at&t are trying to do like they're just saying like okay well we're gonna do it this way netflix does it their way disney does it their way we're gonna start doing it our way and you know, we have a lot of great talent and a lot of great back catalogs and whoever wants to work with us will want to work with us and we're still Warner Brothers. And I think that's there's a lot of hubris in that strategy and I think it's risky and I don't trust it to work, but there's horrible inefficiency in like how things are developed and made and paid for. Like all the all the agencies are whining about the, the Warner Brothers HBO mm-hmm. Max 2021 deal. And it's like, you guys are the the kings of extracting like weird payments and deals and like making sure people don't get paid or do get paid in the ways you want to be paid. Like there's no reason for these things to exist except for the fact that they are like self-fulfilling and have stuff in place that, that they don't not exist. And I think there's some, something interesting about the fact that AT&T is trying to subvert that. I, 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 I do wonder when we look back to HBO Max in five years, where it's going to be, because I think we both agree that it has an incredible catalog and it's such an interesting structure where they live and how they're trying to approach things. I think uh, we also got, I mean, we didn't get the numbers wrong, but they say that apparently only they have only 8.6 monthly active users or something along those lines. They say this past week, which seems they said that this week, crazy low. Yeah. I guess ago. active users. Yeah. I mean, well, how active how how active were their monthly active users in non-Game of Thrones once previously? Yeah, I have no I have no idea. Yeah, I, I mean, but, yeah, that was a rhetorical I mean, question. Yeah. But I mean, even even like we we are not deep diving into this, but I don't know if it's it seems to be a mix of marketing and people not knowing that they have an amazing catalog. It's a mix of they completely botching the Amazon Fire and Roku, which yeah. they announced again this week that they're supposed to be on Roku by the time of uh, Wonder Woman, so twenty fifth of December. Mm-hmm. 
and just so many self-inflicted injuries yeah. and <sighs> well and then that's I, I i spoke to the hubris earlier and that's what it is is like in the end they didn't make a deal with amazon or or roku because they thought people would follow the content and the answer is they won't but maybe they would like i think i think there's a world where that could be justified and that behavior could be justified but it's not there yet but at the same time like you have so you have like nolan and denis villeneuve that are openly bashing this decision you have all the unions that are are openly suing over it and they they, based on contracts and how much money they were going to make and everything that it's fair i think they're entitled to it but at the same time like you have in one camp you have you're like steven soderbergs who are trying to make movies as cheaply as they can and will go to anybody they can they can for funding and i mean he just had an hbo max movie drop this week you have your that apparently was improvised yeah it was partially improvised i haven't checked it out yet it's, i'm it so amazing excited to watch yeah it. i want to it watch looks it. it looks great it's meryl streep and and candace bergen and diane weist and um the guy who's not Timothy Chalamet, who's in Lady Bird, who's blonde, Lucas Hedges. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, apparently, yeah. it looks great. It looks great. What? How is it called? I know. Uh, Let them all talk. Let them all talk. Yeah. Just yeah. for everyone who don't know, like Queen Mary two apparently shot continuously over eight days, yeah, and mostly improvised, and they used all only their clothes, like whatever they were wearing. It sounds amazing. Have you? So. Tangent. One of my favorite reviews of a film I've ever seen was Richard Lawson uh, for Vanity Fair a few years ago. He reviewed Book Club, and mm-hmm. the the pull quote from his review was more than an after more of an afternoon than a movie, which is like is like a ding against the film, right? But at the same time, it's like it's exact that cap- encapsulates exactly what you want out of the movie and are getting out of the movie, right? Like. You don't go into book club expecting anything else, but like a nice way to breezily pass two hours and, and move on. Book club or book smart? Book club. Oh, okay. Then I don't know what yeah. it is. I'm going to look for it. Book club. It's uh, oh, it was like all the like it was like Mary Steenburgen and uh, Candace Bergen, lots of Bergens. <laughs> yeah. Who else? Jane Fonda. It was like okay. a bunch of a bunch of like women in their seventies read 50 shades of gray and then all decided they needed to work on their relationships it's very funny and cute like it is more of an afternoon than a movie (laughs) anyway my joke is going to be that uh let them all talk looks like more of an evening than a movie but that's also exactly what i want this evening with these people i think anyway anyway yes back back on soderbergh soderbergh (laughs) is doing everything he can to make movies cheaply on iphones or like limited equipment or improvising distributing them every way he can this is an hbo max thing that was going to always going to be on hbo you have someone like fincher or like quaron or people these people that are used to spending a lot of money on stories that really don't need to cost as much money as they spend Mm -hmm. but at least they're trying to find the money and like sniff it out and figure it out but then you have filmmakers like Nolan and Villeneuve who are still engaged in this grandiose, like kind of nineties thousands ideal of a studio system where they have great partners, they have producers that they're always working with and production companies they're always working with. And if you're and Christopher then, Nolan, three actors that you work with, but yes. Continue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you just have this continuous like pipeline and that's all great until you're spending 
until your movie needs to make a billion dollars to break even, and then all of that doesn't make any sense. And as we're getting rid of theaters and as we're getting rid of all this, like creators need to be flexible with how all this gets paid. Like, I think it's horrible that they can't make the vision they, they want to make, but at a certain point, like having constraints and boundaries makes great art. Like the matrix was made for like 60 million and looks incredible. Like you can make amazing movies. Star Wars was made for like 15 million. Like you can make great looking movies for cheap. Like, if you are driven to do it and not just whatever. I mean, I don't make movies for a living. I'm just <laughs> but you want to pontificating, right? But you have to, there has to be give and take from both sides, not just like the studio side, I think. And I'm just here uh, nodding a lot because I completely agree because I wanted to ask you exactly about that. Of I completely agree that sometimes with uh, uh, limitations and constraint comes creativity. At the same time, yeah. There can be a ton of cool stuff to do if you have a lot of money. But you are Christopher Nolan and Villeneuve doing these 400 million budget yeah. movies. You have to understand the money has to come from somewhere, right? right? They know somebody has to write a check for them to do that. And then I get that they might feel frustrated either because of the money or whatever. But when no. they read this piece and they're like, oh, it's complete disregard for the movie industry and filmmaking. I'm like... What? What? You decided yeah. that four hundred million dollar movies are, is what filmmaking is, and that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, it yeah. might be a part of it, and the theatrical experience might be a part of it. But like you thinking that you are the person, and this is who. Uh, I got a bad reaction yeah. against like, those two things. What? What are? You, what are you doing for filmmaking? Like what? Nolan last year supervised a nice seventy millimeter restoration of two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. Meanwhile, like Scorsese, probably produced like. 10 movies, half of them directed by women in the same time period. And like Soderbergh probably shot three movies on a phone somewhere. Like it's like as much as they're complaining about it being like ruining the state of everything, it's, it's ruining the existing hegemony of these people that have been put in place by endemic power structures, getting to use the power structures. Like, yes, I want Denis Villeneuve to have $200 million to blow on great effects and great looking movies and stuff I'm going to like. But at the same time, it's probably better that instead of him getting $200 million to to make a movie, we give six more diverse people a camera to tell more interesting stories than adapting a novel from 1960 about a white guy on a desert planet because we already have 10 movies like that, honestly. 100%. I can... I can't. Oh, what's the word in English? I can relate. No, I can't. No, it's not relate. I feel bad for the unions, and I feel bad for the these yeah. working people that ha- that are gonna get impacted by those deals or the back ends or things like that. I don't yeah. feel bad for Christopher Nolan and Villain. I mean, you guys are fine. You can go do your next yeah. 350 million movie in two years. And yes, this is terrible and this sucks, but this sucks for everyone at the same time. AT&T right. made a good or bad decision, but they have to come up with the money somehow. And uh, we're all in these together. Sorry, it didn't work out for you this year. Let yeah. it go. And be a little bit more self-aware. This happened more quietly a decade ago with TV, right? Like TV actors got big residual checks and you always wanted to make it to 100 episodes. You could syndicate your shows. You would get admin money like in syndication for the rest of your life. And kind of you can live off that. Basically dividends from your past performances. And that all went away with streaming, where you get a flat rate that's done, and then maybe there's another flat rate down the line that somebody else buys. And that's just where movies are going to. Like, 
yeah, it's not great. Yeah, I wish creators were being paid way more money and that people wanted to pay money more to creators. But at the same time, I'm more sad that like a key grip on a set's not going to get a few cents every time the the movie is streamed every year. Like, or not a few cents, a few fractions of a set that adds up to a few dollars a year. Yeah, I'd rather them get that than Nolan make X million dollars on Tenet, right? Like, it's all all the stuff we talk about. Like, that goes back to how you were talking about uh, Disney and having a great year. The little guy still gets hurt by all of this. Yeah. <sighs> it also came out today, apparently, that HBO Max, there are a couple of movies that they, again, because they are a little bit more distributed and do things differently than Disney, that everything is kind of in-house, that some of the movies they have do have a clause that require a theatrical release only. Mm-hmm. Or like, There was this movie I was reading today with Hugh Jackman, Reminiscence? Yes. Lisa Joy, Jonathan Nolan. Okay. Right. So there was this movie, Lisa Joy. Yeah, exactly. And Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, uh, Westworld, right? Yeah. Tandy Newton's also in it. Rebecca Ferguson of uh, Mission Impossible fame. Wow. Anyway, so apparently this movie, I don't know if it was the producers or how it was uh, the deal that they had with uh, Warner Brothers, but apparently this one, they could ask for a theatrical only release. So, still developing, I guess. Well, I'm sure Jonathan learned from his big brother how to negotiate that clause. <laughs> how to get angry about something. You uh, know Jonathan has an American accent and Chris has a British accent? It's so weird. It's like in Mexico, there's these... Different places, like, slightly different. I mean, they both grew up in Chicago and England, but just one of them ended yeah. up with something else. The one, the one thing that is similar is in Mexico, there is this big thing where there is like a very small like Spanish population where like the grandparents came from Spain and then the grandkids like to talk as if they were from Spain or they live for a month in Spain and just speak with a very thick accent and that reminded me of that. That's very funny. Anyway, um, before moving into content and talking about like every the 50 whatever things Disney Plus announced, I just wanted to touch quickly on um, Star Plus. We talked a couple yeah. of months ago about this idea that Hulu plays this weird, um, very weird role within Disney, at least in the US. It only exists in the US, where all of the adult content that Disney has, either they created or got from 20th Century Fox. By the way, 20th Century Fox, 21st Century Fox. It's just, um, it's just 21st. It's it was 20th Century Fox, and now it's just 20th Century Films. I was, like, no so longer. sure about this, and then I heard somebody say 21st, and I was like, wait, was it always 20th century? I know they took out Fox, okay. but I thought it was think, 20th century films. I think the company was 21st century Fox, and then it was just oh, 20th Okay, I made you look. Perfect. You're also a little bit confused. I was like, wait, what? It was 20th. Or 21st? Okay, yes. 21st century Fox was the legal successor to News corporations let's see okay so yes 21st century fox owned the film and tv stuff under news corp before it got sold which was called 20th century like it's a 20 it's not a 21st 21st century is the thing that owned like 
FX and Hulu rights and whatnot for Fox and News Corp. Okay. And then 20th Century Fox was the film, one of the film imprints alongside like Fox Searchlight. Okay, so 20th Century Fox owned 20th Century Fox? 21st Century 21st Fox Century. Owned yes. 20th oh, Okay, so yeah. And then if you watch Alita Battle Angel, the logo actually says 24th Century Fox. Mm. So it gets really confusing. Okay, that was a, that, that was a great that was a great tangent. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so all the adult content that Disney has, either through them or Twentieth Century Fox or whatever, it's not on Disney Plus, right? And it's kind of in Hulu, but not really. Like Ford versus Ferrari, it's in HBO Max, and it's kind of all over the place. And there have and, been these kind of netherworld brands that people have been wondering what's going to happen with, like for example, the Alien franchise, which we'll mm-hmm. get to in, in the content just. That's a major piece of intellectual property that Fox owns the rights to and has cultivated, but Disney hasn't said anything about it since the acquisition. So it's right. people have been wondering where these more adult brands were going to live or go. Right. And I think that's something smart that Disney announced is that they announced that they are bringing Star as one of the tiles at the top of Disney Plus everywhere except in the U.S., and that's where all of the adult content is going to live. So you're going to be able to get Logan and Ford versus Ferrari and Alien. And I guess Avatar, they don't consider adult. But everything that they have, which is a ton, I think that's going to bring a ton, a ton of value into Disney+. Plus. Which I think for us, like if they got it here, it would be amazing. But in the US, it's kind of tied with Hulu because now Disney owns Hulu, which also owns things from, well, they have licensing with things from all the other studios. So it sounds like that's never going to happen here. And I wish it did, because I think that would really round up Disney+. Plus. So, smart international market move. Uh, sad it doesn't happen in the U.S. Yeah, I'd, I would not be shocked if by 2024, when they have 200 million subscribers, that they fold in Hulu as well. I don't think Hulu is long for the world, but I don't think that it's... Yeah, but it will be a part of Hulu, yeah. right? It, it's only Disney's stuff from Hulu, because Hulu has a ton of other things. But yes. Right. Yeah, I mean, they could always just have like they could spin out Hulu as like another MVPD, and then have all the Disney content be bundled. Also, in. Disney Plus. Yeah, that would yeah. be nice. Um, because yeah, along those lines, they announced that they're increasing the price in the US by one dollar, which again, my one hundred and thirty dollar deal for three years <laughs> looms amazing. And we right, with so Netflix, Dis- Disney much- Plus is. Disney Plus is increasing by a dollar, right? Yeah, it's certain. not everything. Yeah. Okay. And Disney Plus is increasing by a dollar, which just next year means a hundred million extra dollars per month, yeah. which means another billion dollar they can spend in content. And in Europe, is increasing by two euros because they're bringing Star. So again, you can yeah. you can kind of see the value uh, very quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, and I'm, I imagine if they put all the Hulu content from Disney on Disney Plus, the bundle price would probably stay the same, honestly, because it all evens out once it's all on there uh it'll be interesting to see if they do like any sort of premiere access thing with more adult 20th century films abroad i yeah cannot imagine them doing that on hulu but i could see them doing that on star yeah it sounds like they've been doing it a lot in hot star specifically in india yeah. when they do have that but you bringing up avatar a minute ago reminded me that you know what in the end Theaters are going to be saved somehow because there is no way 
Jim Cameron's going to let people see Avatar 2 on a phone first. <laughs> he, he's going to personally, <laughs> you can like... turn vertically, maybe, you know? Yeah, he's personally going to, like, pay for Disney to open theaters around the country or something. That's That's what's going to happen there. <laughs> I have to say, Avatar is one of those movies where... I mean, I saw it. I saw like the midnight opening in Mexico. I think I told you this story, right? That my yeah. brother thought it was the last Airbender when we were driving yes. over there. But anyway, I remember this is one of the only pieces of media that I had. Like I had the Blu-ray, and when I played it in my TV in Mexico, which probably wasn't even 4K, I was like, "Holy shit, this looks amazing!" I remember putting it in and just leaving it on the menu. Yeah. I think the scenes just looked so so great. It is shocking watching it today. I, I watched it last year, and just the effects are so good. All the mocap stuff, like a lot of the mocap stuff, looks better than anything Marvel did at the end of the decade. Like it looks really good and great. I am genuinely thrilled and excited to see whatever insane stuff he's doing now. You, know, you just see Kate Winslet broke a, <laughs> a record accidentally, floating in a in a like a pool of little. Uh like balls mocap balls yeah Yeah. she so she held her breath for the most for the longest anybody's ever held their breath while filming something oh while filming something okay (laughs) it was like seven it was like seven minutes or something and she's just been breath training because they actually he made all of the actors breath train so that they could do long takes underwater insane but she apparently held her breath for, for like 45 seconds longer than tom cruise did for Mission Whatever, Impossible. Whichever, was it Mission Impossible 5 at the water sequence? I can't even it was remember Rogue, at this point. I think Rogue Nation. It was Rogue Nation? Yeah. I don't remember if it was Rogue Nation or... Brad or Birth. Ghost right? Protocol. Was it Ghost Protocol? Was it the Brad Bird one? Anyway, it was either the plane one or the Burj Khalifa one. Burj Khalifa. It's one of those Burj... two. Eh? It was Burj Khalifa. No. Ooh, we're having the, I... the meme of the girl that tries a kombucha and goes, eh? well, I don't know. <laughs> Regardless... Similar names. So much was made about the fact that Tom Cruise held his breath for like six minutes and 15 seconds and like everyone did it. And then Kate Winslet apparently accidentally broke the record while recording and like came up and was just just fine. And they're like, you did it. You broke the record by 45 seconds accidentally. <laughs> oh, man. I love Avatar Tangents. But yeah, yeah that, looks, am, that looks crazy. I'm psyched for Avatar 2. The, I, I remember the, the scene that was on the menu sees the chopper flying within, between the mountains. With some of the birds flying around, and it looks great. I just good 3D is good. Like bad 3D is atrocious and absolutely not worth paying for. And 3D was like kind of a cancer on uh, projection because people mm-hmm. would just like leave the uh, filters on and it would just be dark inside and like it's awful. But great 3D is really cool, and I'm excited to see another natively shot 3D film for the first time in years. That should be interesting. Well, I think this is a good transition. Talking of content Mm -hmm. that actually interests us, let's talk about what happened with Disney. Because I don't even know if I want to read the list just to make a point. But, I mean... So so they announced 52 discrete items, apparently, according to a Verge re... Yep. uh, Not recount. What is it? Recap. (laughs) Recap, yeah. Uh, like 15 or so of those projects are Marvel, 15 or so of them are Star Wars. There's a bunch of animation from both Disney and Pixar, uh, both TV and film. Mm-hmm. It's TV and film across everything, but I do think the animation units doing TV is particularly striking. And then some generic stuff like uh, Noah Hawley, the 
Fargo, Lucy in the Sky dude is doing a Alien series. I think that was kind of the biggest Hulu news. Yeah, it's just a lot of stuff to dig in. Um, you want to go kind of franchise by franchise and hit it? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I think the the in the one that I'm looking at is your favorite. It's Star Wars. So yeah. I'm going to read very quickly what they announced. They announced quickly Disney Plus series about Ahsoka connected to the Mandalorian. Rangers of the New Republic connected to the Mandalorian. Apparently, they're going to connect them at the end. Mm-hmm. Andor following Diego Luna. My my heart, my love. Your hero. Obi Wan Kenobi. Which, yeah, I don't know why they changed the name. Kenobi was better. Uh, the Bad Batch, which is animated series spin off from the Clone Wars. Star Wars Visions. They announced Lando, which they didn't say it was going to be with Donald Glover, but I guess they announced the Acolyte. They announced a Droid Story, and they announced Willow, which is not connected to Star Wars, but is part of uh, Lucasfilm. Right. And they put an Indiana Jones logo up on screen, too. And oh, said, right. We're working on it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so Literally, only the Acolyte sounds interesting because it's set in the High Republic era of the franchise, which is, like, it's, right, it's when the Jedi were good and stuff and, like, before the prequels, but not too much before. That sounds cool. Cool. I'll watch that. Beyond that, I really, like, I'm sick of the Clone Wars. I'm sick of the, like, interim period. I don't care about the First Order. They're dumb. They're great on-screen bad guys, but I don't care about how they they rose. Yeah, I'm just real sick of Star Wars, and we'll sparingly check things out and wait for the Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron movie, because that will be watchable. I'm surprised that the takeaway of Disney from the the Rise of Skywalker was, like, let's stop everything, but put a ton of stuff in Disney+. Plus. I mean, I get that the Mandalorian was successful, but they seem to be taking the wrong, like, yeah. uh, conclusion of why it was successful. I mean, maybe this is how they get rid of the bad fandom, you know? Like, just overload. playing devil's advocate is, if there's just so much stuff to watch and so much stuff to engage with, then all this stuff becomes kind of meaningless and the people aren't going to get mad because Luke Skywalker was sad, right? Like... Maybe maybe this is the solution here is just drown it out. But the the just the connected nature of everything just feels so it feels so much more exhausting than than Marvel because Star Wars has been so winky about connecting things, whereas Marvel has just been kind of like a you know if you know you know thing and you can kind of follow it still. Yeah, I think the one thing here that um, I mean excites me or at least I want to be excited about the director of the the Book of Life. Um, his name is, sorry, I want to get it right, um, is Jorge Gutierrez, Mexican filmmaker, animator. Yeah. After this announcement, he tweeted, you know, like, we announced all of this stuff, where are the Latin heroes, right? There is yeah. diversity, but there is no diversity. And somebody's like, well, Diego Luna is there with Andor. And he's like, well, he's a Latin actor, but he's not a, lat- a Latin hero, right? And for right. me, it's at least kind of the hope. is like the little bit piece of representation that I saw in anything, including Marvel. And even though the story is like still super like Skywalker timeline right in the middle, same kind of world. And uh, I want to kind of hopefully take that away. He's also executive producing, which I don't know, you know, you you know my love for Rogue One. So let's see. That's the one that I'm curious about. I 
get it. I think Diego Luna is really compelling in the role, and I like Diego Luna. I think this is also by virtue of you bringing up the Book of Life multiple times, probably the world's number one Book of Life podcast. <laughs> oh, you should. You, have you watched it? We've been through I haven't it. seen it, no. You should watch it. You're going to enjoy it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, it looks it looks good. I'll watch it. I I want I've been meaning to watch. Um, uh, it's Cartoon Saloon. Like I haven't seen any of their films, and they have another one called like The Wind Walker or something on Apple TV Plus. They did um, Secret of the Kells. Is that their film that was nominated for an Oscar a few years ago? Um, it's all hand drawn stuff. So I've been really like excited to check them out. Like. Just completely tangential on being on like outsider Please. animation. Like, I'm excited to, to check that out. So I'll, I'll check that out too. The Book of Life. I haven't seen it. Diego Luna also in the Book of Life. Oh, of course. And so is Aldania Wait. talking about Avatar. But yeah. And Channing Tatum. Yep, Channing Tatum is the friend. Yeah. Joaquin, he's great. He's a he's a friend and he's like a hero. And his catchphrase is just shouting his name. He's like a Pokemon. He just shouts Joaquin when he goes into battle. I would have been so much more into last year's Oscar race if Joaquin Phoenix had just shouted that every time he entered a room. <laughs> Anything else from Star Wars worth talking or not talking about? Any other takeaways from them? Uh, not particularly. Like I, Whatever. People like it, they like it. It's fine. I will still always have a nostalgia for it and I'll engage with some of it, but... At the end of the day, I've got other things to watch too, and I don't need to watch 300 hours of content about characters I don't want to learn about. I, I get that. Yeah, but I, I am, like, cautiously, there is more diversity here. It's good. Um, I do think that if they make it less precious, then maybe you can have some of it. Like, with the Marvel stuff, like, Marvel has tons of content I'm not going to engage with or watch. Like, I'm not watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, please. But at the same time, like something like Jessica Jones exists, and that's great, mm-hmm. and that's a really interesting and cool story, and it's about the trauma of this character, that, and that's something that like normally wouldn't be in a film. Or that was a horrifying. Much. The first season of oh Jessica God, Jones, holy shit! That scene with cool. the, the 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 death by a paper cuts, yeah, with the, with a wife. It's a great season of TV, yeah. And if they can reach that point with Star Wars, where like I could just come in and check out something like buy like a Leslie Headland or or some crazy interesting filmmaker and they're actually funding it and giving it space to breathe then you know what like me being a bear about this like it's it's fine like I hopefully they they roll me in and get my seven dollars a month or eight dollars or however much I'm supposed to pay for it now whatever it is whatever it is how do we feel about Hayden Christensen playing Darth Vader in the Kenobi series two things the first one was, I don't get why he's so controversial in the prequels. Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, he's good, but I don't know why people sometimes, some people hate him, some people love him. I don't get that part of the internet. I I think he's actively bad, but I think a lot of that has to do with George Lucas's direction and writing of the character, which okay, that's not totally on him. Yeah, and then the second thing is like, what does it mean he's playing Darth Vader? Right, <laughs> he, I mean, he's he hasn't James played Darth Jones, Vader. Right? Yeah. I mean, he, he played it for... A scene. Played it. Air quotes. Yeah, I I don't know what it means. It's just like in the end, they 
Lucasfilm more or less ruined the guy's career, so I'm happy that they're giving him a paycheck. Yeah, that that seems fine. Yeah. Um, perfect. I want to jump around. I don't want to get to Marvel quickly, but let's yeah. kick some of these quickly. Like National Geographic, I'm gonna jump jump over it. But it was something one that was interesting was just Disney, like the Disney Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, they let me see. I just lost it. Sorry, one second. I'm gonna clean this. We're gonna we're gonna mention Here we Ice go. Age. <laughs> yes, this is where I want to go. So they yeah. announced Hocus Pocus two again, not learning original. Three Man and a Baby, nothing original. Safety, which is just like a sports movie, it's fine. Uh, Greek Freak, which is about Janis uh, Antetokounmpo, NBA player, and Chris Paul, same. Cheaper by the Dawson, again, nothing new. Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Cheaper by the Dawson, I missed that. Yeah, nothing new. But then they announced that they are going to have the Ice Age Adventures of Vogue Wild and Night in the Museum pre- uh, that are, and they're both animated, which are remnants Night of... the Museum? Yeah, animated. And it's oh, just boy. remnants of Fox's animation, but they talk about it under Disney, which is good that they didn't bring them, of course, under the animation studios or Pixar. It was just fascinating. They talked, of course, about Pinocchio, Peter Pan, and Wendy... Uh, they announced a Chip and Dale movie where the voices are going to be Nick Mulvaney and Andy Samberg. I'm going to have to watch that just because it's them. Yeah. And they announced Disenchanted, which I'm kind of excited about. Enchanted is great. Yeah, but didn't we know about Disenchanted for like years and it's just finally happening? Well, I take finally happening, right? We know about a lot of things until they become... Okay. Anyway, yeah, that was fair. a quick rundown of uh, Disney Studios. Yeah, I... It is a bizarre slate of stuff. I think it's probably just a lot of contractual obligations and then, like, kind of looking at what brands they want to cultivate. Like, I could see why Cheaper by the Dozen is an evergreen thing. Like, it's like Freaky Friday. Like, you can yeah. have a million takes on this, and it's funny watching a bunch of kids run around. Like, Simple family movie. Okay. Cool. Yeah. They, they said it was going to be a multiracial family, so, you know, we'll take it. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a live-action remake of three live-action movies that already existed <laughs> for other decades. Yeah. Uh, I think the next two that I want to talk about them together are uh, Walt Disney Animation and Pixar. And yeah, we've got to talk about them together. I want to talk about them together for one reason. I wanted to get your take. I think watching Pete Doctor and Jennifer Lee talk, they're the Pete Doctor from Pixar and Jennifer Lee from Animation Studios, it was the first time that I felt that this, the, these two studios officially transitioned to incorporate Disney Plus into their operations. No. These are places that have been running for 20 years just doing one movie a year or two movies a year. And then they're suddenly being asked to create all of these different type of content. And this must have been a difficult transition for them, I think. It must have been. We... Okay, one second. It must have been. There were rumors coming out early on in the Disney Plus days, like right after they had announced that Pixar was working on a TV show and couldn't make it cheaply, which Mm. affected how the pipeline was going to be. Like there was a Monsters, Inc. show Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, in development mm -hmm. at some point. I don't know if it's never been announced, has it? They didn't talk about it. No, they didn't talk about it. Yeah, they've announced it previously and they just haven't talked about it. And I think that's a lesson for, for Pixar. Pixar's dabbled with other mediums before. They were supposed to John Carter was a Pixar film before it went to Disney as part of the Pixar acquisition. They were going to do a live uh, action? It was going to be 
Andrew Stanton doing a live action thing. Oh. Uh, so that was kind of Jobs' idea of what Pixar could do is they could start doing effects as well because it worked well for ILM. So start doing their own effects in house. Brad Bird has Brad Bird has this great unfinished project called 1906, which is this big like Altman-esque like hundreds like a hundred characters epic set in the aftermath of the San Francisco earthquake that was supposed to be like a Pixar film and his first live action film. Anyway. I would I would love to live in the universe where Pixar became an independent company and didn't take Disney money money and like they were just making stuff like that and Ratatouille and Wally and stuff. And that was the trajectory. Instead we're getting Lightyear, a Buzz oh. Lightyear Ugh. prequel. But story? you know Carl it's not yeah, Buzz Lightyear the toy, it's Buzz Lightyear the man and which the toy is based on. So it's not voiced by Tim Allen, who was, of course, very cancelled this year. It's voiced by Chris Evans, who you all love as Captain America. So please, it's not the toy. Don't think about this is not Toy Story. This is completely disconnected. Yeah, I mean, Aton is referencing oh one of the great tweets from this year, which is from Chris Evans, who tweeted, <laughs> I don't even have the words whenever the Lightyear teaser was dropped which is wait just... he was but he was he's Pete doctor also said it twice oh i didn't see that. yeah yeah Whoa. he said it twice during the live announcement well well chris Evans tweeted and just to be clear this isn't buzz Lightyear the toy this is the origin story of the human buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on so this is just like a buzz Lightyear star command thing right like there's yeah. nothing else here or in their universe is like is no, it I Buzz think that's Aldrin, it. Buzz Lightyear. No, I think that's no, it. That's it's it. Buzz Lightyear fighting Sorg and whatever. So there's not interstellar travel in the Toy Story universe that we don't know about. <laughs> Probably the most disappointing. Pizza Planet's not actually a planet. <laughs> this is a sort of Pizza Planet, the actual planet that the restaurant is based on. The Lightyear was probably the most disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a was slight de- a slight delay in Carl's laugh today, but that's fine. Um <laughs> I think Lightyear was probably the most disappointing announcement of the whole day for me. Yeah, it's just... Oof. It's so blatantly just, like, a bad sequel. Like, I will defend Monsters University. Like, I get why Cars 2 and 3 exist, because they were great for toys, and that was back when Disney had a, like, boy franchise problem, or so mm-hmm. they called it internally. Yeah. But this, it's like... I just the world doesn't need this yeah like I would rather watch Woody and Bonnie or not Woody and Bonnie Woody and what's his girlfriend's name Bo Peep uh, yeah Bo Peep Woody and Bo Peep have adventures now like I'd rather have sequels to Toy Story which we have four of them and somehow I'm still saying that but instead we're getting a, a glimpse behind the curtain at uh, Lightyear yeah, I don't know who needed this, uh, but I'm gonna get angry at but Lightyear, so I'm gonna move into the other things that Pixar. And has. they're they're making another. They know how popular Zootopia was with the furry crowd. So Zootopia, f- Zootopia is Walt Disney Animation. Give me a sec. Well, no, no, no. I was gonna say they're making another furry friendly movie with Turning Red, a story about a oh, girl yeah. going through puberty that transforms into a giant red panda. I'm sure that's gonna be because reasons, but yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That one, that one is weird. weird but... They showed a little bit more of uh, Luca, I think it's called. The one that is coming out uh-huh. next year. 
which looks fine. It's in Italy, this boy that becomes a sea monster. They announced a ton of like small things for Disney Plus, like even more Spark Spark shorts, which I really enjoy. They're great. They announced these new things called Pixar Popcorn that are going to be similar and two kind of, I don't know if these are called like limited series or short version series, one around cars and one around dog from Up. And then they announced, we'll see if this is interesting, but this is super far away. And the first ever original long form animated series by Pixar 2023 is called Win or Lose. And it follows a softball team um, through a week to their championship game. And each episode is the same time period, just from a different like member of the team perspective. So uh, we'll see. It has it has a lot of, if it's Pixar and it's Big Doctor, it has a lot of... Uh, um, chance of being one of these why do you say that you're worried about soul because it can be them playing with your feelings uh kind yeah, of yeah emotionally purpose. manipulative yeah, yeah it, it has all the everything it needs to be that i don't know i'll, I'll give them the chance i'll always give them the chance okay two two comments one on the pete doctor note for some reason the vinyl score for soul which i like i just buy every resner and ross score no matter what like even if i'm like not a huge like I think I own the Vietnam War, which, like, I haven't sat through Ken Burns of the Vietnam War. The score is good, though. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, I was going to buy this anyway, but the vinyl's only, like, 15 bucks on Amazon for pre-order, which I don't know what's going on there. So, hey. Get it before they realize vinyl score for for Soul. Like, I don't know. I am am surprised, though, because uh, normally Reznor and Ross distribute records with their own imprint. Uh, through Nine Inch Nails rather than anything, but it seems that Disney's releasing it through Disney Music, which yeah, <laughs> that's actually a weird deal. Like I'm, I'm impressed. Like Reznor... maybe that's why it's fifteen dollars. <laughs> Mass market. <laughs> Rester was like, "Yes, you can sell it, but you must charge bare minimum." Yeah, yeah. But the the actual point I wanted to make about this is the sparks. The spark shorts thing is interesting because they actually announced that. Uh, the next Pixar movie, Soul, Soul mm-hmm, so. is going to have a Spark short debut against or with it, and it's going to kind of be the de facto short. So typically, with the animated Disney films, with Pixar and Disney, they release a short with it. Um, usually, it's a Pixar short with a Pixar film. Sometimes, disastrously, it's been a Olaf. a Disney short or Frozen put thingy. The Simpsons. In front oh yeah, yeah, the Maggie the thing movie. was also one. Yeah, but. Reading between the lines, the shorts program was always, like, in the early days when making a short film was, like, an arduous, like, impossible task, the short films were used as experimentation for technical tasks. Like, usually you could kind of see what they were going to do next based on how they were playing with stuff in the shorts, but also as a way to cultivate new directors. But the problem is... Pixar like has had like a known like brain drain, a known problem with not promoting talent and cultivating talent, and a known boys' club problem, like mm-hmm. stoked by people like John Lasseter. So like the shorts, not as many people had the opportunity to make shorts as they should have, and not as many sh- people got promoted out of shorts as they should have. So I see the Spark Shorts program, which is essentially lower quality shorts and there's more of them and they were also able to do it during the pandemic as kind of a mea culpa in a way of maybe churning through more of those and getting more talent in front of the virtual camera or behind the virtual camera 
Yeah, and on that note, uh, Domi Shi, she's the director of Bao. She's the director of Rev Panda. Right. Yeah. Of the so Rev, I guess it's called, right? The movie. Yeah, I'm I'm excited because that's... Turning Red, Turning Red is the name. Sorry. Will she be the first solo female director of a Pixar film? Well, since uh, Brave uh, Brave got fired, but Brave wasn't solo. She didn't get the full oh, she, what credit. Is... But at the beginning, she was solo, right? Until she got fired. Yeah, she and was then They solo. brought the other one. Yeah. She got I like think so. credit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yikes! That's um... yikes. So, um, perfect. Let's finish yeah. here. The other one that we have here, again, kind of connected, was Walt Disney Animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan the Last Dragon coming in uh, March, uh, and they announced Encanto, Colombia-based. It's a part of, apparently about this magic house that has a family that lives within it, and the house is part of the story with famous Colombian uh, music writer, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Of course, sarcasm. He's not from Colombia. I get that Disney wants to get him into the machine and not leave him leave, not let him leave. But you don't have to get him into every animated movie. Well, I mean, we could just get the famous Colombian couple, the Lopez's, to help write more music, too. It's fine. (laughs) Or Shakira, again, right? You already have her in Zootopia. (laughs) Zootopia, they announced a Zootopia show. Most of the, the stuff they announced is actually TV, which is interesting. But it's shocking to me that Zootopia they're not doing another film first based on how big it is in the Chinese market. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the TV show, I don't know how TV does in China, but just the, the Asian markets, especially China love Zootopia, the first film and love the characters. So I'm surprised they're not going for a movie first. Yeah. And just to say like how huge it is, they're building a Zootopia land in Shanghai Disney. Yeah. Which is incredible. Uh, and I, Zootopia, of course, Oscar winning, over Moana, which is, I don't know how crazy it is. Also, is I got the, this Disney show from Zootopia. It's called Disney uh, Zootopia Plus, and I got the sarcasm. I think that was the point, and I think you didn't, maybe, With or you were doing a Zootopia double sarcasm Plus? or in being Zootopia Plus. No, I, I didn't understand that it was sarcasm. I just thought it was a, a stupid name for a show. Does it have some sort of gimmick about the plus? I thought that was kind of the point. It was like, you know, if Zootopia is supposed to be like a version of the world, they were like, of course Zootopia would just call their show Zootopia Plus. Because that's I, how everything is. We'll see. I'm reading too much into it. I, I like Zootopia. It's cute. I also was pleasantly surprised to see that there's a Baymax series based on Big Hero 6, which, mm-hmm. that's cute. Uh, actual friend of the show, Lily Ramsey, who's one of my friends, uh she loves big hero 6 it's her favorite disney animated film so i know she's very happy with that it's got a tiny dedicated fandom it's also weird that it's the only marvel animated property at least yeah yet until what if at that scale right oh for sure what if and whatnot but like i mean original like not really mcu like marvel thing yeah 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 and then the, the other thing they announced that i'm pretty excited about is probably the most diverse announcement they have is they announced this original series coming to Disney Plus called Iwaju, I think. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Which is a collaboration with his, with a Nigerian um, animation yeah, cool. and comic book uh, studio um, called Kugali. Uh, and it's going to be, it's about this like futuristic version of Lagos, Nigeria, which looks kind of like Wakanda. Um, but it yeah. looks great. Cool. It looks yeah. yeah. This should be this should be fun. 
Yeah. And I, uh, I'm, intrigued. I'm intrigued. Talking about Black Panther, you want to talk Marvel? Yeah, let's talk Marvel. I, I mentioned at the, the top of the episode that this is actually, weirdly, the thing I was most into by the all, all the announcements. Just because Marvel is such an established, like, open kind of world at this point, it seems very likely that they're going to just kind of fork everything and it's no longer going to be this massive dominant plot line and it'll just be i mean i'm sure 10 years from now there will be some big event right but it seems like they're settling into the long run with with marvel where it's just gonna have like a bunch of stories that are all kind of different and you're kind of checking in on issues or long form issues or or whatever like it's it seems to be emulating comics in a way that i find pleasant yeah i think i agree it's it was interesting to see i mean let's talk about them right how uh, for example, Loki, which is, it looks like it's going to be different, which is great. It's based on the Loki that escaped from Avengers Endgame. Yeah. So it's not kind of the nice Loki that died at the beginning of Infinity War. Uh, and which is also tapping into this weird part of the Marvel Universe, which is like, how is it called? The time? The time. He's apparently, he's apprehended by this. Oh, uh, right. By this police in the Marvel Universe that protects time travel. As if they as if Marvel doesn't do acronym. time travel every day, but the um, TVA, the TVA, which tripped me up because the Tennessee Valley Authority <laughs> was the group that basically brought uh, electricity to that part of the country by damming the Tennessee River and destroying a lot of land and moving people and everything. And it, anyway, the TVA is this massive public works project, and it's very much a, something I'm aware of because like the TVA still operates all the electricity in Knoxville. So when I saw that logo, they didn't explain that what the TVA was. Yeah, they it's like, wait, is this some like weird future thing? Like they didn't actually say time variance authority. They were just like, we do this. It's like the Tennessee Valley Authority is part of like. <laughs> mid-century improvements to the infrastructure of the United States ended up capturing Loki and Owen Wilson. Wow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> but Loki Loki looks great. Uh, WandaVision, we've said, looks WandaVision great. WandaVision looks great. Uh, Hawkeye, I mean, I love Haley Steinfeld. Not her pop career, her performances in actual films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Renner's interesting. Um, I'm excited to see Secret Invasion because I'm a huge Ben Mendelsohn fan mm-hmm. uh and also samuel jackson also that's a cool plot line uh miss marvel's gonna be cool tatiana Maslany and she hulk's gonna be cool what if looks interesting this animated series of what would have happened if things would have gone a little bit differently and like uh, miss carter agent carter yeah. became captain and united kingdom i guess but yeah it looks uh Interesting. I would rather watch the Star Wars holiday special than the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, for the record. <laughs> Have you watched it? I, I watched can't... it. I watched the Star Wars one. The Lego one, the, I guess. I was going to say, I haven't seen the Lego one. I will watch that. I've seen the, the OG one a few times. And Have you seen that? No. Is it it's... like animated or is it just literally them? Oh, dude. like This is a rabbit hole you really need to go down. It's a 1978 live tv special made by a bunch of variety act people so it's like bad like tv variety show everyone has terrible makeup on the performances are bad uh anything in space is just like repurposed footage from a new hope and there's one like 10 minute animated segment where boba fett's introduced for this the first time and it's good but it's literally like 
they're waiting for life day and it's Chewbacca's family just entertaining themselves. So like his son watches like a VR circus, his grandfather slash sorry, his dad watches um, this VR it's kind of like VR porn thing. It's like <laughs> this VR performance of a woman like singing at him, but she's also like, you're my experience. You're my everything. And he's like, visibly excited by the experience it's weird it's it's very boring and not good but there's like bizarre singing and dancing jefferson starship plays prince or carrie fisher sings a song to the to the tune of the star wars theme okay it's, I need to it's look wild this up. i need to look carrie fisher is also like visibly like not sober <laughs> it's great <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's bad, it's boring, but I think I'd rather watch that than... Uh, yeah, than the Guardians of the that. Galaxy one. Yep, that makes That's sense. That's just my thing. Black Panther 2 is going to be interesting. I'm not sure what they're going to go with that. Yeah, they announced... They should have killed Killmonger. Yeah, <laughs> I know. For the record, they announced that they are not recasting uh, T'Challa and Chadwick Boseman. Um, so, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. And Letitia Wright got uh, punished by Twitter last week. Because yeah, she well, seems she to like be a anti-masker little bit... anti or something? Yeah, anti-vaxxer, I think. Okay, anti-vaxxer, yeah. So, we'll see. Uh, I mean, there's going to be another Ant-Man movie, which I like Ant-Man. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that's kind of a disappointment is that they're doing a Fantastic Four movie, and it's just going to be... Uh, what's his name? The guy who does... John Watts? Spider-Man? Is that his name? John Watts yeah. Spider-Man? John, it's John Watts, the guy who did the two MCU Spider-Man films. He's oh. making the Fantastic Four movie. He's fourth. That's... Fourth time is a charm, and I, then I made a joke that he's a fantastic fourth. Ah, uh, yeah, I see. Yeah, it's literally the fourth one. I, I would just. Well, I don't know what sensibility he's bringing to those films that needs to be like. I think Peyton Reed would be more interesting, or Sam Raimi is directing the Doctor Strange movie, uh, he'd be more interesting. I just really hope they actually set it in, like, the mid-century and, like, do actual OG, like, these were the original heroes in their universe thing. Yeah. Well, the Fantastic Four gave us Chris, Ava- Chris Evans, right? So it maybe did. Marvel right. wouldn't be where it, wa- where it is right now if it wasn't for the original Fantastic Four. It also gave us Miles Teller, right? That was the th- That was the next one. Like the new I'm one. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It <laughs> yeah, I was going to be like, what? Michael P. Jordan was in that one, wasn't he? Yeah. And, uh, That's funny. Oh, what's the name? It's Kate Mara. Yes, Kate Mara from yeah, House the of Cards. The Thing. So I don't know. <laughs> um, And then uh, Toby Kipples, the uh, guy from Black Mirror, The Entire History of You. He's Dr. Doom. <laughs> I haven't oh, watched that one. Th- here's something insane I learned the other day. I'm just in a rambling mood tonight. That's good. Uh, I was watching... this. I've been watching the, the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Kind of in a weird order. I watched three and then I watched one and now I'm watching two. And I just wondered, like, where was Peter Parker on 9-11? There's a canon reason. For, there's like a canon explanation. Where was he they when like, we needed him? 
in 2006 they did a like special amazing spider-man issue where this is five years after 9-11 and it's just him like looking at the aftermath of of ground zero so they don't like show anything before that and just being like oh my god the horror of it all and then he gets to ground zero and all the avengers and everyone are there picking up the rubble and moving stuff which okay that's saccharine that's sweet i get it but then dr doom and magneto show up and start helping too (laughs) how does that make any sense Mm. Magneto is trying to like Magneto could have done something humans. about it before. Doctor Doom is like literally a terrorist. Like it makes no sense. I like your rabbit holes though. Maybe it's one of those. It's like the minion thing that you told me about. It was a convenient yeah. plot hole <laughs> so that they didn't have to explain why they followed Hitler or why Peter. Uh, yeah. Spider-Man didn't do anything for 9-11. Also, couldn't have Magneto kept the buildings from collapsing? Yeah, you're just going boom to the plane and psh, sending it somewhere else. Yeah. Right, like, why didn't Magneto stop 9-11? That's the name of the, that's the, name of the <laughs> episode. No, please don't. <laughs> and then on that very interesting tangent about the Fantastic Four and why uh, Spider-Man and Magneto didn't stop 9-11, I think it's a good place to end. Do you have uh, anything for the AUA this week? That is not why P- Spider-Man didn't stop 9-11. <laughs> yeah, what superhero do you think was best equipped to prevent 9-11? Oh my god, no. And the only correct answer is Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> you know that. You know that story, right? No. Wahlberg has said publicly, There's he said in an interview that if... Uh, oh, yes, if he was in one of the planes, he would have stopped it. Or something like that. Yeah, he no? said that there would be blood in the first class cab, and if he had been Ugh. on one of the planes with his kids, it's like, Ugh. oh my god, damn. <laughs> oh my god, Okay, let's move away from 9 11. Uh, okay, so on the topic of Star Wars, like, we, we kind of skirted of the fact that Patty Jenkins is doing a Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. and Taika Watiti has been previously announced. Yep. Like, being brought into the Disney family to make a Star Wars movie seems like a curse that is impossible to actually, like, persevere through, as we've talked about on this show at length, and we'll kind of wrap up at some point in the next month. (laughs) But who do you think should make a Star Wars? You are very good with, uh, like, a sensibility of pairing people to projects, both from an artistic perspective and, like, you know, what they might mean uh, commercially mm-hmm. or financially or things like that. I think for me, I, I usually don't... Like, looking back, I can see how the, the the role that a director played. But I don't know if in hindsight I'm good at thinking like, oh, this director that does X very well would pair very well with Star no. Wars. Okay. What would you, you say? Disa- I, I, I you disappointed me because I, I wrote... Quaron. Down what my guess for your film was gonna, your director was going to be. <laughs> Close, Guillermo del Toro. I was going to say Quaron, Quaron first. Quaron, Quaron has the the space already, and he has taking uh, uh, IP. So I could see that. But uh, 
Guillermo del Toro would be a horror Star Wars, which would be interesting. Hey, which I'm on board with. We're gonna do in your redo and just have Obi Wan Kenobi like <laughs> get mauled by, by a, a bear, Bantha or something. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Also, okay, the Kenobi show is shooting in Boston. <laughs> Not Boston, Massachusetts. Oh really? Yeah, it's different Boston. Yes, in the UK. I, I thought I saw. Even Stephen Colbert made the joke that how he's going to have these terrible accents, and he's not Boston, Massachusetts. I just, <laughs> that was very funny. I yeah, because it's like I'm imagining he'll be all tattooed or whatever, and it's just I don't think the streets of Boston. Hey, Boston Planet. That sounds great. That sounds like you're a, the town crossover event that you pitched a yes, few weeks exactly. ago. Yes, exactly. With other part. That's like so when I fell. The desert planet, the that, town planet. That's like when I fell for the Jack Sparrow show being real. <laughs> but it was actually a joke. This one was just okay. a mistake, I think. Well, all right. I'm glad that uh, they're not going to have a colonial vibe to uh, yes. Obi-Wan Kenobi. I Very was thinking quickly. about this. Yeah, who would you have? Okay, I was thinking about this on my walk earlier. Uh, as you do. Yeah, as I do. Honestly, like, I would love for Steven Soderbergh to make one, but he never would, and I don't want him to waste his time with it. But at the same time, he would be able to make something cool and cheap and interesting-looking and subversive, and I would love to give him that much money. Uh, and Ocean's 12 is the last Jedi of Ocean's movies, and as much as it like subverts expectations, it is about like Ocean's movies. and I don't know. I just want another Last Jedi, and I don't want Ryan Johnson to have to make another Star Wars movie. So that's my it. answer to Steven Soderbergh. I get it. I like that. Uh, Ocean's 12, originally my least favorite Ocean's, now I think probably my favorite. Just how life is. Cool. I, yeah. it's, it's my favorite Ocean's. I I don't love the Oceans series, so like I'm a Oceans fan. Twelve is a bunch of ridiculous stuff in it, like the laser dance or Julia Roberts playing Julia Roberts. So that's what like, gets me into that franchise. And honestly, one of my favorite things I was listening to the Rewatchables. They were talking about The Martian, and but they yeah. talk about how Matt Damon just enjoys being in these ensemble movies, and he's so great in all of this. Just enjoys being the weird guy. And Brad Pitt, his character, eating absolutely all the time. And these are just great, like, cool actors being actors. I don't know. I really I really like all three of them. I'm not a huge fan of... As far as, like, Damon Clooney, uh, Pitt go, like, I adore Pitt. I really like Clooney. Damon I'm a little bit more mixed on, but when Damon's with... Soderbergh, he's really good. Like, have you seen The Informant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's so good in The Informant, and he's like, he's so good when he plays like, kind of a, a lower, lower power figure. Mm-hmm. Like in the Ocean's films, he's definitely just kind of this guy who's like trying to learn the ropes and he's not Brad Pitt and he's not George Clooney, so therefore he's like lesser than. Yeah. But he's not on like the the Casey Affleck level. Um, even things same, like good with goodwill hunting yeah for like sure. even all the way back yeah he's like that's this character yeah where i find him less compelling in like a martian or an interstellar where he is this a very high status character uh i just he's not as compelling but i think he's like really fun to watch like be kind of squirmy yeah yeah 
That makes sense. On that note, I think that was the streaming episode. It was a, a cool. slightly long one, but I think this was good. So yeah, well, we had to talk about Magneto not preventing nine oh eleven. That's Magneto that was very important. important to this episode. Magneto made the episode long. Um, <laughs> but thank you all for listening. Uh, a ton of interesting stuff, and uh, remember to rate, subscribe, spread the word, and we'll we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.